open your Bibles to Micah chapter 6. Now, if you don't have a Bible, you don't have a device, uh, there are some Bibles right back there on that back table. And honestly, our blue shirts will bring you one. Uh, uh, Heath, will you go back there? If you need one, just raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed or whatever. Uh, you left it on the nightstand. Uh, my, do- my dog ran away with it. What- whatever the thing is, uh, they'll bring you one right now. And uh, you can follow along because uh, one of the things that our elders talked about was uh, we're going to ask you to start turning through your Bibles and following with us rather than putting the text on the screen and making it real easy for you. So, uh, so you're going to need a Bible uh, this week and in weeks to come and even weeks after that. So Micah, that is uh, one of the uh, minor prophets. So you're going to go through all the Old Testament right before you get to the New Testament. You're going to find the minor prophets. And Micah is right in the middle of it. Like, Micah is like number six of 12 uh, right before it. So keep, keep scrolling along until you find Micah and you will uh, be with us today. So Micah chapter six is where we'll be today in Micah. Um, this leads us into God's courtroom. That's where we will actually be today is uh, in God's courtroom. And, and Micah pictures this and wants us to see this today. Uh, God in this text is both the prosecutor and he's the judge. And so he's going to be bringing the indictment and he's going to be judging the people as well. Israel is the one who is on trial and the whole earth is the courtroom. And so that's where we are today in Micah chapter six and seven. So let's jump in and see what our text uh, has to say. So Micah uh, chapter six is where we'll be. Uh, Here's what the text says. Follow along with me. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. So basically, uh, God says, hey, come into the courtroom today. And in the immortal words of Frank Costanza, I got a lot of problems with you people. Uh, that's, that's what he says. I got things to say and, and I got a lot of problems with you people. And I'm about to tell you what they are. And so the Lord begins to lay out his case uh, against Israel in these particular chapters. So uh, look with me in Micah chapter 6, verses 3 and 5. He goes on, he says, O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know this righteous act of the Lord. And so what's his first question? Uh, Look with me uh, in verse three. God says, what have I done to you? I mean, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? What have I brought on you that is so wearisome? And what was Israel's answer? Same as your answer. Crickets. I mean, I mean, nothing. They, 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 didn't, they didn't say a word. And it's interesting because the next two words bring this Enneagram 8 much comfort. This is the way I picture it. Look, look there in verse 3. He says, Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? He gets crickets. And what does God say? Answer me. Answer me. Seen that before? 
Tell me what it is. Answer my question. This is a serious question that I want to know. What have I done to you? What have I done to you? Look at verse 4. See what verse 4 says. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Not only did God not do evil to Israel, he brought them an enormous amount of good. An enormous amount of good. He's like, I'm just bringing good stuff to you. And still, this is where we find ourselves today. Then you get to verse 5. And uh, this is a, a reference from Numbers chapters 22 to 24. And so in Numbers chapter 22 to 24, uh, this, is the, this is the quick synopsis of that story. Ba- Balaam uh, met with King Balak of Moab. And eventually this curse was brought upon Israel, but not in the traditional sense of a curse. The Moabites instead led the Israelites into fornication and all kinds of sexual sins with uh, some women of the day. So Balak sent his young women in and they led Israel into all kinds of immorality, all kinds of adultery. And because Israel fell under this, this kind of spell of these women, uh, God did curse Israel. And what it says is, uh, in, in, back in Numbers, that he brought a plague on Israel that killed 24,000 people. 24,000 people because of their sexual immorality. Do you think God takes sexual sin seriously? I can tell you he does. He does. He he takes sexual sin seriously in the Older Testament. He takes sexual sin seriously in the Newer Testament. He takes sexual sin seriously today. Today. If you're involved in some type of sexual sin, God takes that very seriously today. He would say, and his warning for you would be one to say, don't find yourselves and don't keep indulging yourselves in this sexual sin. Don't keep going back to it. Don't, like a dog goes back to his vomit, don't keep going back to the same sexual sin over and over and over. He always has taken it serious. He takes it serious today. And so... Uh, even in the middle of all this, Israel had to know that God wouldn't just by his own volition, just out on a whim, do something that was harmful to Israel, except they brought this curse on themselves through their own idolatry and their own disobedience. And so in this courtroom with Micah, God showed Israel that if they felt cursed in any way, that it was their own fault, that they had brought it upon themselves. Let's keep going uh, to uh, Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for, that tra- for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And so Israel basically looks at God and says, what do you want with me? I mean, what is it that you want with me? Nothing seems to satisfy you, God. Nothing we do seems to satisfy you. If we brought you thousands of rams, you wouldn't be satisfied. If we brought you rivers of oil, you wouldn't be satisfied. If we gave you our firstborn child, you still wouldn't be satisfied. This is ridiculous, God. We can't seem to satisfy you. Yet it's another 
resemblance to us today. Israel was blind to their own depravity. Israel was missing the point. It was Israel who needed to change, yet they wanted God to change. Ooh. See, that happens to us, right? We're the people that need to change. God doesn't need to change. God doesn't change. But there are many times that we want him to be okay with what we're doing, right? We want him to be okay with our own pet sins, with our own particular lifestyle, with our own choosing of what we do. We want God to be okay with those things. They were convinced that God wanted too much. God, you're asking too much of us. They were convinced that we find ourselves doing that same kind of thing. Does it sound familiar? The truth is, you and I know what God requires of us. Yet we find ourselves many times advocating for our own positions. Look, God, let, 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 let me explain. You don't understand. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This, this is why I'm indulging in what I'm indulging myself in. Not only advocating their own positions, they'll argue their own point. Look, look God, I, I know what your word says. I know what Pastor Scott reminds us of. I know what my grandma told me and what she keeps telling me over and over again. I know what my parents say, but, but this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. You, you don't understand. It's different now. It's 2022. It's different now. And we avoid the truth that we know is right. You know how it goes. So God, you change instead of me. Here's what God replied to them in verse 8. Look, I put this one on the screen. He has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And so God replies, you act like what I'm asking you to do is some mystery. Like it's something new. It's not really a mystery. But I've shown, shown you clearly what the path to righteousness is, and it's not that complicated. Simply do three things. What's the first one? What did he say? Do justice. Do justice. Treat others fairly. Treat the people around you that you interact with. Just treat them fairly. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Secondly, he says, love kindness or love mercy. Your Bible may say, love mercy. Give others the same measure of kindness, the same measure of mercy, the same measure of, and length of, uh, of working through some things as you would want them to give you. Do justice, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God says, remember who I am. I'm your God. He's telling us to Israel, I'm your God. I've called you out of Egypt. I'm your God. I need you to keep me in the forefront of your mind. And you will, when you do that, you will walk humbly with me. Spurgeon um, uh, wrote some things on this particular passage. And he applied the idea of how to walk humbly with your God. And, and these are some of the things that he said. First, he said, walk humbly when you're spiritually strong. Like when things are going well, like for, there's no doubt for some of you, you're in a good place spiritually today. You walked in, you're in a good place. You feel good about where you are with the Lord. You feel good about your relationship with him. But he says in that, when things are going really, really well, like they are for you right now, he's like, walk humbly. Don't walk proudly. That kind of erases the whole thing, right? 
when we walk proudly in our relationship with God, but he says, walk humbly in your relationship with God. Walk humbly when you have a lot to do. Walk humbly in your motives, the thing that you are, that kind of motivates, you know, encourages you to do the things that you do. He said, whatever your motives are, be humble in those motives. Walk humbly when you're studying God's word. If you're somebody that thinks you know it all about the word of God, I promise you don't. It is a myriad of things. It, it is deeper than the deepest ocean. It is higher than the highest skyline. There's so much more that we know that we don't know about God's word than we think we do know. So he says, walk, uh, Spurgeon said, walk humbly when you're studying God's word. Walk humbly when you're in trials. That's the easy part, right? When we're in trials, what do we do? Where do we find ourselves? Find ourselves on our knees. We find ourselves like begging God for help when trials come. He says, walk humbly under these trials. Walk humbly in your devotions when you're reading the word, when you're studying the word, whenever you're going, I want to open up the word and know something about it. Don't just run past that stuff in your study of God's word like you know it so well. Because we don't. You don't, I don't, we don't know it that well enough just to pass right through it. We just don't know it that well. He says, walk humbly whenever you study the word in your devotions. Walk humbly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Look, we all carry in some baggage, right? I'm, I'm going to raise my hand for you because I know you all walked in here with something today. We're all carrying some kind of baggage. But you know, we don't, here's what we do in the South too. We don't want to burden people with our stuff, do we? We don't want to tell anybody what's going on because they got their own stuff and I got my own stuff. And, and they, they, I don't need to tell them that because they, they don't need to carry my burdens because they got enough to carry themselves. That's how we do it in the South. We're too nice sometimes because we don't even obey God's word. Scripture says we bear one another's burdens. Like you need to bear my burdens with me. I need to bear your burdens with you. We need to do that with one another because we're, we walk under heavy burdens lots of times. So we walk humbly with our brothers and sisters. And we walk humbly when dealing with sinners. There's lots of people we know. Maybe it's somebody in your own family. Maybe it's some, a friend at work. Maybe it's you, you yourself. But we're called to walk humbly with people who are caught up in the middle of sin. Because we've been there before. We know the solution. We know the king. We know the one that can alleviate those sins. And so we can walk humbly with sinners to go, hey, bro, you don't have to do that again. Hey, girl, we don't have to live like that anymore. Walk humbly with those who are caught up in sin. Spurgeon went on to say this. True humility is to think rightly of yourself. When you have found out what you really are, you will be humble. For you are nothing to boast of. To be humble will make you safe. To be humble will make you happy. To be humble will make music in your heart when you go to bed. To be humble here will make you wake up in the likeness of your master by and by. So what's his point? Same as Micah. Walk humbly with your God. Listen, church. Arrogance has no place in Christendom. None. There's zero room for arrogance. Zero room to say, I've got it all figured out. Zero room to, in, in Christendom to say, hey, if you've got questions about this, I'm the know-it-all. There's no place for that. No place for that. Uh, walking in Christendom and, and arrogance are like oxymorons. They don't mix. Oil and water. They don't mix together. Polar opposites. Let's keep going. Micah chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. 
This is what he says. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and, it's sound, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Uh, in verse 9, God says this. He doesn't say, um, feel the rod of punishment. He says, hear the rod of punishment. That's an interesting play on words. Hear the rod of punishment. And, and so um, C.S. Lewis wrote this about that particular text. He says, we can rest confidently in our sins and in our stupidities. And anyone who is, uh, as anyone who has watched gluttons shoveling down the most exquisite foods as if they did not know what they were eating will admit that we can, we can avoid even pleasure. Think about that, right? What he's saying. He's like, think whenever you're eating something that's really good, like you can just shove it in your pie hole, you know, uh, and just keep shoveling in because it, this is so good. Nom, nom, nom. You know, it, it is so good and you just keep eating. You're like, I'm so full, but I'm going to do it. I, we did yesterday. Carol and I went to breakfast yesterday and uh, went to Big Bad Breakfast. And uh, Todd, somebody tell Todd, don't listen. Todd, don't listen. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I'm the only one that ate something that wasn't healthy. Carol ate really healthy. Actually, she did. Uh, but I had like a chicken biscuit with gravy on it and cheese. Oh, it was delicious. And it was so good. I need to eat about half of it. But I got halfway through it, and I was like, this is, I'm kind of full, you know, and I think I'm going to stop right here. But I was like, Carol, this is so good. I think I'm going to eat the rest of it. And so I just shoved it into my pie hole, you know, and I felt terrible all day yesterday. I mean, even until last night, I'm like, I'm not hungry, and my stomach hurts. And I think Todd cursed me somewhere along the way. Um, <laughs> I think it was my guilty conscience. I think it's what it was. Um, but we can find, so we can find pleasure in food. But he goes on to say, we can ignore good things. Whenever we're just indulging ourselves in good things, we could ignore the consequences of it, right? We could just fly right on through it. And he goes on to say this, but pain insists on being attended to. It's like last night when my stomach was hurting. I was like, oh, Carol, my stomach hurts. She was like, are you okay, baby? Um, uh, 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 Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure... God speaks to us in our conscience, but God shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So just like I kind of felt like I was being shouted at last night in my, in my pain, that, that's a very minuscule piece of that. Uh, but there's, there's real pain. You know real pain when it happens. It gets our attention, right? Like if you've got some chronic pain that's going on with you, uh, then, then you know when it flares itself up, it, it, it happens. Uh, Pastor Paul and I both have uh, a, a touch of gout from time to time. And when it flares up, it, it gets your attention. Some of you deal with other chronic pains and you know whenever it flares up, what does it do? Get your attention. And C.S. Lewis was saying the same things. When we find ourselves there, uh, we find ourselves in a pinch point then our attention has been gotten. So in Micah, God was angry with Israel for cheating in their business dealings. He's like, you guys are cheating everybody that you deal with. They lied and they stole and they cheated one another all for the sake of just making a little bit more money. I've said this before from this pulpit that 
that as Christian businessmen and businesswomen, that it is incumbent upon us as followers of Jesus to be the most honest, to be the most straightforward, to be the most, uh, have the most integrity of business than anybody else that we know. Because the name of uh, Jesus rests upon us as Christians. We claim the name of Jesus. We call ourselves followers of Jesus. And so we have to operate with integrity. We have to operate where people know that my yes is yes, my no is no. If I give you money for something, that's a fair price. If I take your money for something, then it is a fair exchange. We have to operate with that. But Israel was not operating in that same way. They went even past uh, cheating money with each other. They became violent with one another. And God said, I need you to hear what it is that I'm saying this. And because they would not listen, God brought judgment upon Israel. Look with me in Micah chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. This is what he says. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied. And there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give it to, I will give it to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives. Uh, you shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and for the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing so that you shall hear the scorn of my people. God told Israel, I'm not going to allow you any satisfaction. There will be no satisfaction uh, on what you possess because your gains are coming as a result of, of deceit. I'm not going to allow you to enjoy those things. The Rolling Stones wrote about this passage. I can't get no satisfaction. That, that's literally what he was saying. He's like, I'm giving you no satisfaction. No satisfaction in the, the things that you put your hands to, the things you toil for. There will, you will not get to uh, reap the, the rewards of your labor. There'll be no satisfaction that comes your way. God says, you'll eat, but you won't be satisfied. You'll eat and you'll just want some more because the food that you eat will not even satisfy you. You'll put away, but you will not preserve that thing. And, 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 in, that, and in that particular context, they're talking about uh, uh, food. And, and so uh, you're, you're going to try to preserve food, but it's going to go rotten on you. You won't even be able to keep the stuff that normally you would keep for a later day. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You will tread grapes, but not drink wine. Why was God saying this thing to Israel? Because instead of walking in the ways of the Lord, they walked in sinful ways. They walked in the wicked ways of the kings that were around them during that day. And they walked in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, Let's take a moment here at the end of chapter 6. And I want you to do a little bit of a self-evaluation for you right now. And many times we don't do this in our, in our, in our gathering times. We don't, we don't necessarily take time to do a little bit of self-evaluation. We're going to take time right now, okay? Um, are you walking in the ways of the Lord? You don't have to answer out loud. This is, this is between you and the Lord. So I want you to take some time. And think about that. Are you walking in the ways of the Lord? Are you, or are you walking in the sinful ways and examples of the wicked ways of the world around you? It's easy to happen. 
Everybody around you might be doing or living in a particular way. And rather than walking in the ways of the Lord, we just slide into this because everybody else is doing it. And this is the way it is. And I just slide right. And I just ease myself into it. And suddenly I find myself right in the middle of it. That may be you right now. Slidden right over here into the wicked ways of the world. And even justifying them like we talked about earlier. Are you listening to and carrying out the counsel of the ungodly? Are the people in your ear, the people that are giving you advice, the people that are advising you, the people that, are, that you go to in your time of troubles, are they giving you good, sound, biblical advice that may be difficult to hear? Or are they just saying, hey, keep sliding on over this way. Keep sliding on over here. It's what everybody else is doing. If why not, everybody else is doing it, why don't you keep doing it? Where are you living right now? Listen to me. Sin matters to God. How you live matters to God. Your, I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to me. Your sin matters to God. So I want us to just take a moment. Everybody just close your eyes and listen to me. Take a moment Ask the Holy Spirit literally right now to reveal any sin in you right now. Maybe it's you're never satisfied. Maybe you live in a constant state of unrest. Maybe you feel like you're always chasing something, never, never reaching it. Maybe you feel like you're out of fellowship with God. Whatever the Holy Spirit is revealing to you right now, confess it to the Lord. Just confess it. He knows you're not hiding anything from Him. Confess it to the Lord. Christian, this confession and repentance should be an ongoing part of who you are. Ask the Lord to help you put that sin to death. Ask him to help you put off the old man, the old woman, put on the new self. Lord, help us. Help us to put away that sin. Help us to not keep going back to it. Help us to put it to death, even today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's keep going. Micah chapter 7. I look with me in Micah chapter 7, the first four verses. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that, may, that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. And so Micah confess, this is Micah confessing the sins of his people to the Lord. Just like you confessed your sins then, Micah the prophet was confessing the sins of Israel to God at the time. 
And he recognized that their sins had left them impoverished. There was nothing left for them. They were desolate at this time. It was because of the sin in their life. And look with me in verse 4. Look what it says. The day of your watchman, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. And so here's some truths that you probably already know, but I'll remind you a little bit about what some truths around the sin when we find ourselves uh, immersed in sin. Uh, We can feel like there's no price to pay for our sin. We can can just roll on in the middle of it sometimes and feel like there's no price to pay because nobody knows, nobody's seen, nobody's found me out. And so we can feel like I've kind of gotten away with this. And again, some of you might feel like that today. Like I've gotten away with this. I've kind of slid past God's judgment and he's forgotten about this. And so I'm just going to keep on going in my sin. You're in the middle, a little middle of some ongoing sin. And you, you know, it's sinful behavior. There's no perceived consequences right now for you. And it feels good. So you're just going to keep on doing that thing you're doing. Many of you might be in that very same spot today but what micah says is the day of your watchman of your punishment has come and i would say may it will come may come the self-confidence that you have right now may turn to some confusion it may turn to uh, confusion and perplexity over man what in the world's happening man everything seems to be falling apart around me wait what what's happening suddenly quickly Things may change. And this may bring a change of circumstances for you. Look with me in chapter five, uh, chapter seven, verses five through seven. This is what uh, Micah says. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth for her who lies in your, from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And and so Micah says because of their selfishness, because of their sinfulness, because of their uh, uh, ongoing uh, indulgences, sin, that their personal relationships are starting to crumble. Like suddenly the people that have been that that have been close to me and we, we we've been like brothers, those things start to crumble around them. One couldn't put confidence in a friend anymore. Couldn't share a story with a friend. And even blood relatives, it says, that, that uh, are at war with one another. Anything like that happening to you? Anything like that been a part of your life or is a part of your life right now? It may be. I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying it may be because there's some sin in your life that you think I've gotten away with or I'm part of that keeps ongoing and ongoing and ongoing. And the Lord has said, this is enough. This is enough. So Micah says all this turmoil is going on. But in this sin-stained culture that he is writing to and that he is uh, 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 giving warnings to, he said, there's got to be a way. He said, this is the only option. Verse 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. 
And then he goes on in verses 8 through 10, and Micah says, I'm going to speak for those who were brought low by their personal sin and by the sin of Israel. Look in in verse 8 through 10, this is what he says. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall, for I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where's the Lord your God? Are you in the middle of this? Where's God now? Huh? You still going to worship that God? It's letting you go through the middle of this? That's, That's what Micah was saying. He said, your enemies may say that when you're in the middle of these kinds of things. My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. He said, God eventually is going to do something about this. So I'll ask you that question. When you sin, do you run to the Lord? That's what Micah did. On behalf of the people, he began to run to the Lord. Do you run to the Lord when you sin or do you run away from the Lord? When others around you sin and sin greatly, do you take pleasure in their folly? You look at them and go, they had it coming. I knew it. I mean, I tried to tell them. I could see it coming a mile away. They were indulging themselves in all kinds of things, and it was inevitable because it was going to happen to them. Do you gloat over their sinful ways? Micah said, you see me brought low now. You should know this is not long. God eventually will rescue us. God eventually will lift us up. And so because Micah interceded on his people's behalf, he took responsibility for the sin. He was the one who was standing in their place. He took responsibility for their sin. Remember, as we look to Old Testament things, they're pointing us forward to where? Come on. Say it louder. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, all these, these, these Old, uh, Old Testament stories and prophets are, are pointing us forward to the one who will stand in our place. He's pointing us forward to Jesus who will stand in our place, who will rescue us from our own sin. And that's what Micah was doing. He was standing in the place of the, of the people. He took responsibility for their sin. And Micah said, I know we've sinned and we've taken, and we're taking responsibility for our sin. And I'm accepting the correction that you're giving to us, God. So Micah interceded on his people's behalf. Finally, after all this, we get to the great, but God. Okay. Finally, whew, everybody just go, ah, thanks preacher. I'm tired of you yelling at me. Uh, I was tired of it too when I was writing this thing. I'm like, ooh, this is an uplifting sermon. Um, (laughs) Get to the great but God in Micah. Look at uh, Micah chapter 7, verses 11 through 13. This is what it says. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundaries shall far exceed. In that day, they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from the sea and from the mountains to the mountains. Uh, but the earth shall be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. And so uh, Micah says, there's going to come a time when Israel, you will be restored. Israel, it, there, there's coming a time. Yeah, you're, you're having to go through this right now. But there's going to come a time whenever you will be restored. God will send out a call far and wide to begin to gather his people together. His people will come from a desolate land. They'll actually come to a desolate land because it's not going to be all milk and honey at the time. We've, we've been down that road before, but you're going to come back to a desolate land because God has, has placed a judgment on his people at the time. And look with me then in uh, Micah chapter 14 and fi- uh, or verses 14 and 15. Shepherd your people with a staff, the flock of your inheritance who dwell alone in, the, in a forest in the midst of a, gar, 
excuse me, in the midst of a garden land, let them graze in Bashan and Gilead, for you fans, and in the days of old, and in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. And so God promises to care for his people um, lovingly like he did before. He says, I, I, your God, will shepherd you. I, your God, will feed you. I will provide for you like I did in times of old. And I'm going to show you wonders that you've never even seen before because I love you and I am your God. And then whenever I restore you, the nations around you are going to say, wait, what just happened? Wait, how did that happen? How did that come about? He's like, why in the world did we fight against these people in the first place. He goes on to talk about that in uh, verses 18 through 20. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in his steadfast love. I would underline that if I was writing in my Bible right now. He will again have compassion on us and will tread out our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And so Micah writes this, who is a God like you? (laughs) Who is a God like you? Who in the world, is there anybody else like you in all the world, in all the face of the world, in any any inhabitants anywhere, is there a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, forgiving sin, and passing over our iniquity like you have. Micah saw that God's forgiveness was so great, it can't even be compared to the forgiveness that we have towards one another. Side note, you know what Micah's name means? Who is like Yahweh? See what he did there? He just said, who is a God like you? His name means who is like you. There's no one like you. That was kind of cool. Why does God have such great mercy and forgiveness for his people? It's because God delights in mercy. Say that with me. God delights in mercy. And Micah finally says this, he will have compassion on us. Say that with me. He will have compassion on us. You know, this is true for us today. This is true for you today. This is the good news that God loves sinners. And all the sinners said, yeah, amen. I would say, yes, even you, those of you who thought, Man, this is some sin. Pastor's talking about this, and he don't even know about this sin, and I need to confess this sin. Yes, even you. God loves you. Even in the middle of that sin that you have found yourself so immersed in, the one that you have ongoing sin that you can't find yourself out of, God loves you, and God wants to rescue you out of that sin. He loves you too much to leave you in your sin. His compassion is calling you out of your sin. He's like, don't stay there. You don't have to continue on in your sin. His compassion is so great that he'll take that sin and he will cast it as far as the east is from the west. That you won't have to remember. He's not going to be the one that comes and reminds you of that. Remember what I forgave you of. He's not that kind of God. He doesn't go back and just keep reminding you what you used to do and who you used to be. That's not God who does that. And so like Israel in Micah's day, our sins are many, but what? His mercy is more. You just sang that. 
Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Sin matters to God, but much more. Sinners matter to God. Sinners matter to God. You matter to God. And so just as we saw Micah repenting on behalf of his people, his people turning from their wicked ways and coming back to the Lord, I urge you to do that very same thing today. I urge you to repent, to confess your sins before the Lord. To maybe, maybe you're outside the household of faith. Actually, maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you're not a Christian. That's what that means. Maybe you don't have the spirit of God that actually lives within you. And so like Israel, you're far from God. And my encouragement to you is to turn from your wicked ways, to repent of your sins, to confess your sins before a, a, a holy and righteous and loving God. And ask for his forgiveness. He will forgive you of your sins. He will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. He will welcome you into and he will restore you. Or, and he will make you part of his family. Repentance says, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to go in a different direction. I don't want to indulge myself anymore. And I want to confess that to the Lord. And I want to live a different way. And then we encourage you to believe the gospel. That Jesus came, he lived the sinless life that God requires. One that you and I can't live on our own. He died on a cross for your sin because God says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. The blood of any other sacrifice doesn't forgive our sins. The blood of bulls and goats does does not cover your sin debt. It took the precious blood of Jesus to cover your sin debt. The Bible says that he died on a cross that God raised him from the dead three days later and he is ever interceding on mine and your behalf at the right hand of God. And so you have an advocate with the Father. And it's my encouragement to you that this would be the day of your salvation. This would be the day that you say, I know I've been a sin, I am a sinner, but I want to trust Jesus and his righteousness. I want him to save me today. I want to become a follower of Jesus. I want to give my life to Christ today. And we would encourage you to do that very thing to receive the mercy of God today. Let me pray for us.